We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Another chilly day. Great day to be uh, sitting somewhere warm, listening to the radio. Thanks so much for joining us here on News Talk, 830-WCCO. Steve Thompson, Carrie Klatt, and we're starting to see the first images uh, from the Webb Telescope. We will get into that in more detail, but really, as, as a fan of space and space exploration, and I've, I guess, always been a fan ever since I was a little kid. I've told this story more than once, but I'll, I'll tell it again. Really, my first real memory was being at my grandma and grandpa's house on Maryland Avenue, just east of Como Park, and Neil Armstrong taking the first steps on the moon in that summer of 1969. I was real little, but uh, I, I remember that night uh, very well and have been uh, a fan of of all of it. Ever since. And Mike Wall joins us from space.com. And uh, Mike, good to visit with you. It's been a while. Yeah, good good to talk to you. Yeah, and Mike, you're probably not as old as me, so you probably don't remember uh, that uh, July night, 1969, when Neil Armstrong uh, was the first human to step on the moon. But uh, nevertheless, at some point in time, you became a fan of it and uh, uh, write for space.com. Yeah, no, I was, I was like, I was not alive during any of the moon landings, but certainly I, I can appreciate them in retrospect. Yeah, for, for sure. Just a, a real strong memory uh, of my early childhood, and everyone gathered around uh, that night. Uh, quite a night, indeed. Quite a night in Boca Chica, Texas, on Thursday night. Elon Musk standing in front of the huge starship down there, uh, and. I caught most of it, and I know uh, you taught, uh, you, you wrote at space.com about the lead-up, covered the event as well. Uh, what are your takeaways from what Elon Musk said on Thursday night? Yeah, it was, like it's interesting. We, we didn't get all that much new information. It was more just a status report. It was the first one of these that he's done in about two and a half years. Um, so we didn't really learn, but there, there was no big design change. He actually told us a little bit new, like there's, there's going to be 30, 
three engines on the um, on the, the super heavy booster now. We like we previously he said there'd be 29. There's probably going to be nine engines now on the Starship upper stage. Previously there have been six. So there's some like some details there, but it's still it was mostly just more of the same. They're they're hoping to do the first orbital test flight this year sometime. Hopefully in the next few months. They're still hoping to do Mars colonization. <laughs> at some point in the next, I don't know, decade or so, at least get that underway. So, yeah, didn't learn anything all that new, but just sort of reinforced what we already knew. Yeah, and, and there were some videos that uh, were shown, one in particular about uh, uh, in-orbit refueling. Um, there, there was some juvenile humor associated with it, but, you know, hey, everybody got a little bit of laugh. But, but nevertheless, it showed the capability. And I was really impressed by some of the animation showing the capability and then ultimately uh, humans reaching Mars. Yeah, that actually was new. That, that was new animation that they, that they, they debuted during his presentation, which, yeah, just showing us what SpaceX envisions a Mars colony will look like and how Starship can help make it happen. Um, that that was kind of cool to see, and yeah, yeah. I mean, juvenile humor. You're you're definitely going to get that when Musk talks for like an hour. There's going to be a fair bit of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There is some, you know, middle school jokes and that sort of thing. And I'm just kind of like, oh, oh okay. Um, he he's a billionaire. It's it's his show. He he can do that sort of thing. Uh, but Mike, when when we get back to this, we're we're still kind of in waiting mode for the government to give SpaceX the okay and. You, you pay very close attention to this, but we do know that they're uh, building a Starship base at Kennedy Space Center, so they will have the capability to launch from there. And they've also bought a couple of uh, old drilling rigs so they'll be able to go out into the ocean. Is there a concern that, they, that the government will say, no, you, you can't do this down on the Gulf Coast? Um, there, I'm, like, since we don't know what... But the FAA, they're the ones who are doing this review. Right. We don't know what they're going to say. I guess it's possible that they could say, you know, the, the environmental kind of effects of the South Texas site are too great. You know, it's a sensitive, like, wetland area. Um, so it's possible that they could they could put a halt to the project, but I really don't know, considering how much money is involved and how much money this is going to bring to South Texas and this, this, this county, you know, it's near, yeah, near, but... Yeah, it's near Brownsville, Texas. It's called Cameron County. It's not very wealthy. So they're definitely going to want more more revenue flowing in there. So I'd, I'd be really surprised if the South Texas site doesn't get approval just based on how things work. Um, but even if that happens, you know, yeah, as, as you were saying, SpaceX is already certified to fly out of, out of Cape Canaveral area. And they are going to have these offshore, yeah, these, these offshore kind of oil rigs that they're converting into launch pads. Um, so... If the South Texas site doesn't get approved, then I, what, one of the things Eon said in the talk was it might set them back like six to eight months while they bring those other sites up to speed, but it's not going to stop anything. Yeah, and, and that's very interesting. It is clearly full speed ahead that, that he has a vision and certainly has the financial wherewithal to, to see this thing move forward, that when Starship was first developed, it was like, oh, it'll be the largest rocket ever launched, and it'll have all these capabilities. This will take years and years. And now you really get the sense that not only do they want to launch this year, but they want to do a lot of test flights 
and they want to get the ball rolling because he says the window is open uh, to settle Mars right now. We don't know how long, and in paraphrasing here, how long that window will be open. And that's one of the things Elon Sutton has talked, you know, like we can't take for granted that we will be able, that we'll have like an infinite amount of time or or like centuries or even decades to colonize Mars. I mean, based on how society is going now, there are a lot of signs that society is pretty fragile and fractious and civilization itself might even be kind of fragile as we're seeing things play out on the, on the, on the bigger stage right now. So that was one of his take-home messages last night. And he's, he's, I mean, he's been saying this about Mars colonization for years now. It's like, we need to do this. It's for the good of the species, for the good of, of life itself. I mean, life on Earth, we have to be responsible stewards of consciousness and life. We owe it to ourselves and life in general to spread to other planets in case something happens. And we, like, oh, Earth, like, something bad is Oh, I think we may have lost Mike. um, But yeah, that's that's, that's a fair bit of time that we have to prepare for that that eventuality anyway. Yeah, uh, Mike Wald joining us uh, from space.com. And Mike, we've we've talked about this a great deal. And and the one thing we know about this, this super heavy booster and Starship is to go back to the moon and potentially build a base on the moon or ultimately, as Elon Musk outlined, build a a colony on Mars, you will need to bring a lot of stuff to do that. Um, Tons and tons, uh, a million tons is, is a number that's been thrown out there. Well, to do that, number one, you'll have to launch a lot into lower Earth orbit, and then transport that to Mars, and then ultimately bring that down to the surface of Mars. And he feels like this is the ship that could do it. But we're, we're, we're still talking about a lot of stuff that would need to go from the Earth to Mars and ultimately land safely on Mars to make this a reality. Yeah, and that's, that, that's the number that he gave in the, in the talk on Thursday night. I don't know... How accurate it is, he, he, yeah, he said he thinks that a self-sustaining kind of, kind of city on Mars would need a million tons of stuff there to get set up. And I mean, I don't know if that's true or if it's more or less than that, but it's, some, it's, a, it's, it's a really big number. And that's why like, something like Starship is so important to make that happen in, in, like, in the eyes of SpaceX and Musk and a lot of people who want something like this to happen. But to get that much stuff to Mars, you're going to need a giant rocket and a very cheap rocket all at the same time because that's a lot of launches. Even I mean, to get a million tons of anything anywhere, and I, I mean, Starship is going to be capable of getting 150 tons to Earth orbit, more or less. That's, that's a lot, but that's still a lot of launches to get up to a million to Mars. So you're going to need it to be cheap, too. And that's, that's one other thing that he said. If everything goes well with Starship and they get up flying a lot, you know, it's, it's a fully reusable vehicle. He was saying that, like, the booster part of it could theoretically fly, like, every hour, and the spacecraft part of it could theoretically fly every six to eight hours. You would really need a cadence like that to get the price down to the point where Mars colonization is feasible. And he was saying during his talk that he thinks that if all goes well, a Starship launch could happen for as little as, like, a million bucks. And that's, that's a lot of money to you and me, but in the space industry, to launch 150 tons for a million bucks is, like, it's, 
it's insane. It's insanely cheap. Yeah. And there was also talk on how a system like this could be used on Earth. Uh, I know there's been some military interest in it, but but beyond that, being able to transport uh, very large payloads or a lot of passengers anywhere on Earth in an hour or so. And, and he talked about uh, the, the fact that being able to go from here to Australia or here to the other side of the world with a system like Starship when fully operational uh, becomes feasible feasible uh, compared to, say, an airliner. Yeah, that's one of the possible use cases down the road. I don't know how, yeah, it's, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be more expensive than a plane for a long sure. time, you would think. But if there are use cases where you need absolutely need to get huge, like heavy things somewhere really fast, and I can see Starship being a viable option, and that would explain like the the like military interest in it, right? They have a lot of big, heavy things that need to go places fast. Um, so it's it's understandable why they're really interested in Starship for that for that reason. But yeah, the like point to point transport thing of people here on Earth, I can see that happening maybe at some point. But for the foreseeable future, it seems like that's going to be something that only the very wealthy would really even think about doing. Yeah, I would think, though, in like a relief effort uh, in the volcano in Tonga, you know, that the ability for, you know, the government to say we, we need to get food and supplies and uh, support uh, to this remote location and, and we can do this in a hurry, it's going to be expensive, but we have that capability future-wise. It, it really is interesting, and, and you're absolutely right. that That's down the road, but you know, being able to get huge payloads up into orbit and travel around the Earth very quickly and then re-enter and, and land wherever you need to is, is really interesting. Mike yeah, and, joining... and one thing about Starship, too, is it could land. I mean, for the, the humanitarian stuff, you know, going into a disaster zone, you know, it, it, it lands vertically. So it wouldn't need a runway or anything. You know, it could land anywhere where there's, like, a flat patch of ground to set down on. So, yeah, that's, that's also a plus. Mike Wall joining us from Space.com. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back, talk about uh, the Webb Telescope, the first images from the James Webb Telescope. uh, Really interesting as well. And what the capabilities are there, we'll we'll get Mike's thoughts on that here on News Talk. E3OWCCO. Mike Wall from Space.com joining us. Elon Musk gave a talk in front of his huge... Uh, Starship configuration down in Boca Chica, Texas. Uh, We we await for approval from the FAA, and a launch could be imminent. Quick follow-up on that. If they do get approval, the sense is they're ready to go. This could still happen uh, here in the first quarter, maybe March. I think that's that's the expectation. I mean, during the presentation, Elon said that they hope to have the the rocket ready to launch pretty much as soon as they get the approval from the FAA. And they, like, yeah, like the FAA had said that uh, that their report's going to be done by February 28th, and we will see if that's true. You know, they've they've, they've already pushed that deadline back once, so we just never know. But that's the current schedule. Yeah, and there are some say that there are politics involved that. Uh, the current administration is slow playing it, that they're trying to slow them down, 
that uh, this is making NASA on some level look bad because the space launch system has been so expensive and continues to be delayed. How much of that do you buy, Mike, that there's politics involved and that that's why a SpaceX is being delayed? I don't buy it at all. You know, I mean, I think okay. like I think NASA is not threatened by Starship. They're they're a Starship customer. They 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 want Starship to be successful. They signed on to use Starship to land astronauts on the moon with the Artemis program in the next few years. So there's no slow playing by NASA. They they want this to succeed. And I don't think the U.S. like federal government. I don't think there's any axe to grind from Joe Biden or anything like that. I think this is just okay. how bureaucracy works. There are hoops you have to jump through. And, I mean, like it or not, I mean, the, like, South Texas site is on a wetland that is extremely diverse, and it's a migratory bird stopover point. And, I mean, as a society, we have multiple priorities, and it takes a while to work. Yeah, absolutely. We're going through that with uh, uh, the balance between, say, the boundary waters and uh, mining interests and jobs in northeastern Minnesota. So it it does take time, and there's a lot of back and forth on that. Uh, Let's get to the Webb telescope. The first image is not that great. Is there concern? Because the first image was kind of like, well, that's not that great. But uh, this really is (laughs) a big deal, isn't it? It's exactly what they want them to look like. So these okay. first images, not, yeah, it's not what you expect the final telescope to provide. These are like kind of calibration images. So sure. basically there they're, they're like 18 mirror segments that comprise the primary mirror for James Webb. And they're in the process of aligning those segments so they act as like a single light collecting surface. And to do that, they, they take one photo of a distant star, like this, this target star they've identified, with each of those 18 individual mirror segments. And then they kind of stack those images to form a single image. So the star, as, as time goes on and they, they can align the mirror segments so that those images all line up into just one perfect picture of that star. So what, what, what they released just yesterday was there were 18 different photos of this star and it didn't look pretty, but it looked exactly how they wanted it to look because they're starting to align those mirror segments now. And they're they're using those images to to kind of line them up. And, and Mike, this is extraordinary engineering, uh, and what could be learned from this, and and the expectations for the Webb Telescope. Uh, th- this is really cutting edge stuff. It, it it it's Hubble on steroids, if you will. Beyond. It's going to be really great, yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy that it's all gone as smoothly as it has. I mean, going to knock on a bunch of different wood, but it's the most, it's the biggest space telescope ever launched. It's the most complex thing ever launched. Um, and all the deployments, everything has gone really well so far. And so, and the, the mirror alignment is going well. Once it's fully up and running this summer, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to start to be really exciting because this telescope will be able to look back through time at the, at the first stars and galaxies that ever formed in the universe. It'll be able to look into the atmospheres of relatively nearby alien planets and look for intriguing chemicals that could be indicators of life on these on these worlds. There's just a million different things that people are going to do with it. And, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a lot like Hubble in some ways. I mean, Hubble is a multi-purpose machine that has been used for many different things and make huge discoveries. You know, it, it was used to, to discover that the like universe acceleration is expanding thanks to something that we now call dark energy. It's just huge. There are huge discoveries that we don't, that, that we can't predict will come from web. And yeah, it'll be exciting to see what they are. And 
even uh, pointing the web telescope, even in our own solar system, you know, just in the neighborhood, if you will, uh, we we have no idea what we'll learn, even in our own solar system. Yeah, there will be part of yeah. I mean, part of it's going to be looking in the very distant universe, but the scientists will also use it to look. Yeah, just just exactly what what you said to look to look in our own solar system. You know, there's a, there there are projects that are going to be studying like these weird Trojan asteroids. They're they're called you know asteroids that are trapped in the same orbit as as planets. You know, there 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 are Trojans around Jupiter. There's one project that Webb will do in its first year that will look at at these weird Trojan asteroids of Neptune. So yeah, there's just all this stuff, way way more than we know is going on. There's like 260 like observing projects that Webb will do in its first year. Those have already been been chosen. So yeah, they're extremely diverse. A very exciting time uh, for sure. And then uh, the business of space goes on and. Uh, SpaceX continues to launch. One other thing we want to get in real quick before we run out of time. Speaking of SpaceX, uh, they're building their Starlink constellation, but uh, some of these Starlink satellites have run into trouble due to a solar flare. Yeah, there was a there was a solar storm about a week sure. ago. So there there was there was the latest batch of, of Starlinks were launched about a week and yeah about a week ago, week and a half ago. There were forty nine of them. You know, they're building this huge constellation of, of Internet satellites. They've already launched about 2,000. And this latest batch, they were launched, unfortunately, like around the same time that um, this big solar eruption, you know, this huge cloud of charged solar particles reached Earth, and it created this this, this yeah, sort of geomagnetic storm in our atmosphere. It's the same phenomenon that, that, the, kind of, that the kind of supercharges uh, the, the auroras, you know, the northern lights and the southern lights. That geomagnetic storm caused Earth's atmosphere, it caused shifts in Earth's atmosphere that increased the, the frictional drag like a, that these satellites were experiencing, the, these recently launched Starlinks, and it, it brought them down. They were not able to actually get up to their operational orbit. So about 80% of them are going to be lost from this solar storm. And it is, it is pretty crazy, you know. I mean, SpaceX can absorb this kind of loss of satellites, but it's just a reminder that space is complicated and some unforeseen things can can happen when you're trying to do big things in space. Yeah, uh, Mike, always great. We learned so much. Good to visit with you, and uh, I read your work at space.com regularly. So thank you. Yep, sure thing. Always, always good to talk to you. All right, there he is, Mike Wall, space.com. Good enough to join us here on News Talk E3O-WCCO. We'll have an update on the weather. And then uh, we'll shift gears, start talking a little sports. The Minnesota Vikings are busy. They have a defensive coordinator. The new head coach uh, will will join the team right after the Super Bowl. We'd expect as soon as Monday uh, the new coach will be officially introduced. And then a lot of work to do. And Matthew Collar will join us from Purple Insider to talk about that. And we'll talk a little bit about the big game, the Bengals and the Rams late tomorrow afternoon, our time from SoFi Stadium in Englewood. That's all on the way here at News Talk, E3O-WCCO. This time of year, Viking fans, especially long-time Viking fans, have to wonder, will they ever get to the big game again? Um, I was just a kid when they made it four Super Bowl appearances. Haven't seen one since. Uh, the Vikings and their ownership, the Will family, appear committed to get back to a Super Bowl and 
and win a title. Uh, question is, will uh, the next group uh, be able to get it done? And joining us to talk about that is Matthew Collar from Purple Insider. But I know a longtime Viking fans, will we ever see it again? And, th- and that is a gigantic question on the eve of the big game tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's funny about, you know, just any season that you go into with, uh, you always kind of assume that your team doesn't have a chance. But, you know, I think what Cincinnati shows you is that you never know when your window opens up. You know, I mean, you think about going back to, like, 1998 with the Vikings. I mean, everybody knew they had talent on that team. But you were going into that season with Brad Johnson and Randall Cunningham as your quarterbacks and a rookie wide receiver, Randy Moss, that nobody knew. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're a field goal away from being in the Super Bowl. So, you know, it's kind of funny that everybody's looking for their Super Bowl window and everybody talks about, well, this team that made the Super Bowl did it this way or that way. And a lot of times it's just about giving yourself a chance to even be in the playoffs and then hoping things go your way. Because I think the theme of both of these teams that are in the playoffs is how close, or in the Super Bowl, I mean, is how close they were to elimination in the playoffs. I mean, the Rams are down 10 points in the fourth quarter to San Francisco. Um, the Tennessee Titans had the ball with a chance to go win the game against Cincinnati. I mean, yep. it's, you know, once you get in, it gets kind of, uh, you know, crazy in the playoffs and anything can happen. But, um, you know, the Vikings have not had very many seasons in which they've really given themselves a true chance to be there, especially recently. But even, you know, go back 15, 20 years. I mean, how many times have they – even made the playoffs or made the playoffs with a decent seed where they could get home, you know, playoff games. I mean, that's what you're really hoping for from Quasi Adolfo and Kevin O'Connell is can they put this team in a situation and whoever they go with a quarterback um, to have a, to have a chance to get lucky because in recent years, they really haven't had that chance. Yeah. And what's so interesting about these two teams, the Bengals were one of the dregs of the NFL for a long, long time. We all know about, the, the, the drought, winning a playoff game, and then ultimately getting back to a Super Bowl. I mean, the Bengals were just perennially bad. It, it was just almost comical. But they get Joe Burrow. They, they get a break. Uh, an Ohio kid who played at LSU uh, lands, and he's turned out to be the real deal. And all of a sudden, this, once again, you know, bottom four or five team in the NFL for years and years and years – was all of a sudden in the big game and and won a very good AFC this year. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about how quickly it can change is because just, you know, a couple of years ago, they were stuck where the Vikings are stuck. I mean, I've made this comparison before about the Andy Dalton Cincinnati Bengals were kind of similar to what the Vikings are, where they had a talented roster at times, uh, and then as soon as some of the talent around Andy Dalton faded, uh, Marvin Lewis wasn't a good enough coach. Andy Dalton wasn't a good enough quarterback to put them, you know, in contention anymore. And then they fell off. So they, they didn't win in any of the years where they were decent or good. Um, one year, Andy Dalton got hurt in the best season of his career. And that goes into the luck thing. Uh, but, you know, here's Cincinnati again. They go down to the bottom. They get the right quarterback. And then they're able to build the roster around him. And here they are. Um, you know, it's it's funny how fast that can happen. I mean, you can think about the Los Angeles Rams and how bad they were. They were coached oh. by Jeff Fisher in 2016, and Case Keenum was their starting quarterback on day one. And then, you know, just the, you know, two years later, they're in the Super Bowl, and then here we are. They're a powerhouse roster a few years after that. So, you know, the opportunity is there, but there's also the other side of the coin 
the of teams that have tried to rebuild, like the New York Giants, the New York Jets, where they get stuck, um, you know, just sort of circling the drain all the time. And that's, you know, Cincinnati had a, a long stretch of that in the early yeah. 2000s and 90s where they were just bad year after year after year after year. So, I mean, it's, all, it's always tricky, but, you know, if you draft the right quarterback, it just opens the door to do so much with your roster, with your coaching, um, that you have a chance to be where Cincinnati is right now. Yeah, and the the Rams realized that Jared Goff wasn't the guy, and they identified a guy and found him in Detroit, Matthew Stafford. Now it remains to be seen if, if he can deliver the Lombardi Trophy tomorrow night. We'll, we'll see about that. They're my favorite. I think they'll win and cover the game. We'll get your thoughts on that in a bit. But nevertheless, you know, they, they got to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff, but realized that he isn't the guy to ultimately get it done, and they went out and got Stafford, who had some success, but he was playing for the Lions. Let's face the facts, and here we are again. Yeah, and you know, it's it's really interesting, too, because, you know, I mean, sort of we always wait for the results and then kind of write the narrative afterward. And, you know, with as talented as this Rams team is, they are way better on offense in terms of just talent than they were last year when they decided to get rid of Jared Goff. So I think a lot of us are saying, well, oh, I guess, you know, Matt Stafford was actually great all along and it was really just the Lions. But you also wonder, I mean, would Jared Goff have also led a really good team, a 12-win team, because he did it before. And then Goff goes to the Lions, they're tanking, he doesn't play well. So it's sort of funny about how, you know, we write that. And, and think about, too, if, you know, the, the, the Tampa Bay Bucks play defense at the end of the game uh, against the Rams, like how different are we talking about? That we'd be talking about, well, the Rams blew this huge lead in the playoffs. I mean, that's just sort of the the thin line that everybody walks, and then we kind of talk about, well, this is the model to actually win. You just do what the Rams did. But I'm not sure that the Rams' process was even all that great of trying to trade all of their draft picks and take a quarterback who hadn't been able to get his team anywhere um, you know, and, and trade Jared Goff for him. And yet, you know, they end up here because, you know, things went their way. So I think there's a lot of Vikings fans who are saying, well, hey, you know, they were able to build this roster around Stafford and win. But, you know, I think you really see how thin of the needle or small the needle that they had to thread in order to be here. We haven't seen too many teams ever do what the Rams did by trading for a quarterback and then getting to the Super Bowl like this. Matthew Collard joining us from Purple Insider. The Super Bowl tomorrow. It'll be the Bengals and the Rams from SoFi in L.A. It'll be a warm day. I'd love to be there. Um, but I'm here, and that's the way it is. Uh, Matthew, uh, Kirk Cousins, there seems to be uh, a groundswell. And we have absolutely no idea what the decision is going to be. But but there seems to be more and more momentum, if you will, among the media that it it sure seems like they're going to stick with Kirk Cousins and they may extend Kirk Cousins. We have absolutely no idea, but do you get that sense as well as you follow social media and read what you're reading as well and in your coverage that, well, it, it looks like Kirk Cousins could very well be the quarterback this fall? No, I, I don't have that feeling. I, I mean, I still think that you have to look at, and there's been a couple of reports that were pretty vague, um, from ESPN about Kevin O'Connell liking Kirk Cousins and the possibility sure. that they could work out an extension for him or something. But, I mean, I think you have to look at the reality of the roster and where they stand. And it's not even so much a question of 
Uh, does Kevin O'Connell like Kirk Cousins or think he's good? Is, is Kirk Cousins the right quarterback for this team right now? And I don't see how the answer could be yes. I mean, they have struggled so much around his contract to build a good team. They have seven or eight positions on defense that they need fully replaced. We still don't know which way they're going to go with Daniel Hunter and his contract situation. I mean, this is a team that really, uh, by the roster uh, at right now, not what they had last year in the close games they had last year, but they have a ton of free agents. They have a ton of dead cap money uh, that they're going to carry over. I mean, this is a very difficult position to be in where most franchises hit the reset button here. And signing uh, a highly expensive quarterback on a team that isn't ready to win just doesn't add up. I don't see how you could be quasi Adolfo Mensa and be so brilliant to uh, be on Wall Street, and yet you can't see that. I think you can. Uh, I also think that if uh, an ESPN insider reporter asks you what you're going to do with Kirk Cousins, you don't say we hate him and we're going to trade him, right? Because <laughs> right. Yeah, that, does, exactly. that, that doesn't help your leverage at all. And also the other thing that's important here is the Vikings ownership, has just they just don't have a ton of leaks. They just don't tell us. Like even to the very minute – the, uh, until Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman were fired. Nobody knew if Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman for sure were going to get fired. In fact, the same ESPN insiders were reporting that Rick Spielman was going to stay. So I think it's really clear that we don't know because they don't tell people what they're going to do. It makes a lot more sense to trade Cousins to get a draft pick back and start to rebuild this thing than it does to keep a 34-year-old or 33-year-old quarterback for several more years, and especially when you know the team isn't ready to win. Yeah, and he makes such a good point. That was my thought exactly along the way. They're going to continue to say good things about Kirk Cousins, and if anything is leaked, it's going to be about the idea that you know he's put up big numbers and so on and so forth, and we need to do a better job around him. Because you you have to build interest. Now there are a lot of teams, and, and I've really enjoyed this reporting when when people have identified the teams where Kirk Cousins could be a fit and take a team. For instance, I think Kirk Cousins would be a tremendous fit in Tennessee. That that could be a good ad for a team like that. Yeah, I mean, there's probably I don't know five to seven teams that you could come up with that make a lot of sense to me. Pittsburgh is at the top of the list. That's a roster that made the playoffs with some of the worst quarterback play in the NFL last year. And, and I think that, you know, Pittsburgh might be thinking along the same lines as the Vikings when they signed Kirk Cousins, as in, you know, we've got a good roster and we just need a quarterback who can do the job better than Ben Roethlisberger did in his old age. Um, you know, I, I think that that is that kind of thinking is a little flawed, but especially coming off of Matt Stafford being in the Super Bowl, if not a lot flawed, um, but, but Stafford being in the Super Bowl helps their case to other teams. Hey, New Orleans, look how close you were. Don't you want Kirk Cousins? I mean, I think that there are teams where it actually does make sense to trade for him and even give him a contract extension based on where their rosters are and how they're ready to win now. And if you're the Vikings, I mean, I think you're trying to, like you said, you're trying to say, we don't have to trade Kirk, so you should give us a first-round pick to entice us. And then, I mean, the Vikings also have great plausible deniability here where it's like, oh, the reason we traded Kirk is because he didn't want to sign a contract extension. Whoops, you hate to see it. Uh, you know, the, the Lions sure. did this last year. The Lions, when they traded Matt Stafford, I looked this up, their general manager said, oh, we had no intention of trading Stafford, but he came to us and wanted to trade, so we honored that. Like, oh, okay, right, as if you guys weren't 
trying to like tear apart your roster and tank and draft high, right? Which we all knew they were from day one. So these teams sort of need an out to be able to say, well, you know, we just couldn't come to an extension, so we had to make this move. Uh, I think that's the direction this ultimately goes. They bring in a veteran defensive coordinator at Donatel. Uh, your thoughts on that hire? Yeah, I mean, that, you know, I think it's important to have somebody with a lot of experience when you're hiring a young offensive coach. I mean, this was like, Sean McVay had Wade Phillips in Los Angeles, and I think that Wade Phillips was incredibly important to Sean McVay. It was someone with a lot of experience who had been around the league, but also, you know, Ed Donatel comes from, you know, working with Vic Fangio, who turned around the Denver defense. Denver was not a great football team this year um, on offense, and yet still, you know, they were a pretty competitive team uh, until they had to start Drew Locke at quarterback. But when Teddy was starting, they were 7-7, seven and seven, and a lot of that was, you know, playing good defense. And I think that one thing that people who come from the Vic Fangio type of tree usually are good at is adapting to what's going on in the league. So, you know, sometimes you're playing a more um, stop-the-run, force teams to throw on you. That was years ago, and now everybody's playing, you know, maybe even one linebacker at times and lots of defensive backs, and, and you've seen Fangio make those changes. And I think that's what you're looking for from Ed Donatel is, you know, can they build this roster kind of in his vision for the defense and then be adaptable? And this is somebody who's had success in the league going all the way back to, I think, maybe 2000 was his first defensive coordinator job. So, you know, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good fit for Kevin O'Connell to have somebody with that type of experience. And then uh, timeline, Kevin O'Connell's in the cities as soon as Monday? Well, it depends on how much he's partying on Sunday night. Yeah, I mean, there you if, go. They, yeah, yeah. if they win the Super Bowl, I think asking that man to fly uh, out to Minneapolis and do a press conference would be a little tough um, yeah. because I think he'd be partying all night with the with the Rams. So my guess is well, they, they still have to complete a contract with him. So my guess would be that it's probably Tuesday he flies out, signs the contract. Wednesday they have the press conference at 9 or 10 in the morning, that kind of thing. Um, and then we get to hear it from the horse's mouth about what he thinks of Kirk Cousins. But like you said, he's not going to trash him. And, and you know, the thing is, too, that he could have a great relationship with Cousins, and he could think Cousins is great, but still also understand it's not the right fit for where they are. So, But it'll be very interesting to hear about his philosophy. I mean, I have not heard Kevin O'Connell speak a lot. It's not like he's one of those guys that's been in the media a ton. Um, so it'll be Vikings fans' first impression of their new coach. All right, and then uh, finally the big game tomorrow, Rams-Bengals. How do you see it, Matthew? Yeah, I think that you know Joe Burrow does have some magic to him, but the Rams have an incredible roster. I mean, they just have superstars all over the field, and especially their defensive line is marvelous. And I just feel like that offensive line of the Bengals is going to kind of be what we saw last year. Patrick Mahomes just got completely run out of the building by the Tampa Bay defensive line. And it feels like we're going to see that same sort of thing. When it comes down to one game, it's like the trenches, man, it still matters. So that, that's how I'm seeing it. But the other thing is, too, uh, we watch Matt Stafford here year after year. It could be a great game or it could be a terrible game for Matt Stafford. And so you never know when that shoe's going to drop. I'm going to pick the Rams 24-14, but who knows, man. This is why I don't gamble on the games. Yeah, I, I as rule, I'm with you, Matthew. Uh, gambling on sports, uh-uh. Don't need to go there. Uh, always enjoy it. Uh, great work on Purple Insider. How do people uh, subscribe? 
Yeah, they can go to uh, purpleinsider.substack.com for the newsletter. And uh, anywhere uh, you get your podcast, just type in Purple Insider. We do the show every day. So lots of good guests. And, uh, yeah, ready for the Super Bowl, man. All right, there he is, Matthew Collar, Purple Insider. Enjoy the game. Uh, quick break. We'll come back. Some headlines from the day in sports. All the news at 4 will go outdoors with Steve Carney. It's all on the way. And, oh, by the way, in about 30 minutes, King John will join us. John Williams, formerly of WCCO Radio, now of WGN Radio in Chicago, will join us. I saw this story in the Pioneer Press, and I want to get John's thoughts on it. The Bears, at some point, could leave Soldier Field and move to the suburbs. Oh. John Williams joins us at about uh, 420 today here on News Talk. E3-O-W-C-C-O. Busy day on the local sports scene at the barn tonight. Golden Gopher men take on Penn State. Uh, the Wild are home tonight. They take on the Carolina Hurricanes. Sarah McClellan scheduled to join us at about 510 to preview the Wild. They came out of the break. I've beaten Winnipeg 2-0. Marcus Felino suspended for a couple of games. Uh, some players set to return to the Wild lineup. We'll get Sarah's thoughts on that. Over at uh, the U today... Golden go for women's hockey. They will play as St. Cloud State. They had a home and home. They won at St. Cloud State 5-3 to three on Friday. They'll be at Ritter today, number one Minnesota. Golden go for women's hockey team. They are playing really well as of late. They swept Wisconsin. They got the split on the road at Ohio State. They swept Bemidji State and now have a chance to sweep St. Cloud State. They're coming up on the end of the regular season. Golden Gopher men at Ohio State. They got a win last night. So uh, a lot going on on the local sports scene, plus tons of girls hockey section finals uh, next week in the state tournament the following week at the Exxon Energy Center. Boys and girls hoops, boys hockey winding down their regular season as well. So a lot going on. So we'll have much more on the high school sports scene a little bit later on. I do want to get an update. PGA Tour, they are in Phoenix area, Scottsdale to be exact, and the Waste Management Open. And I I haven't seen Waste Management uh, spelled out in this tournament, so I'm going to just call it the WM Phoenix Open because that that's what it is at pgatour.com. And pretty good leaderboard for this event. Patrick Cantlay, the leader in the third round, uh, he is at 12 under par. Uh, Sahith Thigala, who led after rounds one and two, he's at 12 under. Uh, Brooks Kepka, you've heard of him, he's at 12 under, along with Xander Shoffley. So a, a great leaderboard. Scotty Shuffler in a group one back. Tom Hoagie, who went at Pebble Beach a week ago, he's two off the lead. He's absolutely on fire. Bubba in a group at nine under par. Justin Thomas at minus eight. Hideki Matsuyama at eight under par. Uh, and the list goes on and on. Troy Merritt playing well again this week. He's three under in his round today, six under. Uh, he's in a tie for 30th, but has moved up to 42 at the moment in the FedEx Cup standing. So uh, a lot going on in Scottsdale. And, of course, they have that stop on the PGA Tour opposite of the Super Bowl, which happens to be in Los Angeles. And we talked about that with Matthew Collar. He said 24-14. I think the Rams win and cover. I have a bit of a fear 
We haven't had a lot of blowout Super Bowls as of late. My fear is this could be a blowout Super Bowl. Things could go wrong for the Bengals, and and the Rams could actually blow them out. It, it could be a Super bore at SoFi tomorrow. I hope I'm wrong. It's going to be a warm one. Uh, not so warm here in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis, St. Paul. Four above. Uh, we'll go below zero tonight. Uh, teens tomorrow. Teens again on Monday. Near 30 on Tuesday. We'll have the news and all the weather in a moment here on CCO. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs> 